Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Is is being fulfilled every day, every moment. ISIS, what's happening with ISIS is not a fluke. It isn't the mind of man that is doing it. It's the prophetic timetable of God moving things forward. What's happening worldwide? Well, all of the upheaval and everything else in the world is not just something that is happenstance. God promised that it would happen. He said it would be this way at the end of the age, and so it is. So what should be our response to what is going on? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning because I know that's a question in all of our minds. What do we do? What do we do? Well, I want to tell you this, that, that in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, we see that Moses was a man who, who was uh, blessed by God in that he, he, he was saved by water. You all know that? His name Moses means beautiful one. And he was so beautiful, in fact, that when the edict of Pharaoh was that all of the, the children under two, under a certain year, a number of a years of age, had to be killed of, of the Hebrew children because it was prophesied that there was going to rise up a deliverer. And so Pharaoh heard, caught wind of it. He says, well, kill all the babies, Any, all of them under three months old or whatever. He says, kill them all. And so but Moses was a child, and his mother just had him. So what did she do? She put him in a little basket and went and hit him in the Nile River. Well, Pharaoh's daughter comes out to take a bath, and she sees him in, in the river, sees this basket over there, or a handmaiden does, and she goes over and gets it, and she brings it over to Pharaoh's daughter, and she opens it up, and voila, there's this beautiful baby inside this basket. And so she determines that she's going to take this baby as her own. Great thing was that the handmaiden who happened to be with her happened to be a young lady by the name of Miriam. You all know who Miriam was, wasn't you? It was Moses' older sister. And so Pharaoh's daughter is looking at this baby. She's thinking, well, how am I going to nurse this baby? She said, well, I got an idea. She said, I know a Hebrew woman who has milk. She has no child, but she has milk. So she could take care. She could nurse this baby for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said, that sounds like a good idea. You know who the mother turned out to be? Moses' mom. So Moses' mother is nursing Moses, and he grows up, but in the house of Pharaoh, because Pharaoh's daughter had taken him in, so he grows, grows up as a prince in the palace. Now, Moses has access to all the education and everything else of Egypt of the time, which was best in the, of any other educational system in all the world. I mean, Egypt was at, it was at the pinnacle of their game, man. They pretty much ruled the whole world at that time. And so Pharaoh, this great and powerful man, had Moses that he took as his son and raised him as his own son, the heir to the throne of Pharaoh in, in Egypt. This is what Moses was looking forward to. But there was something inside of Moses that God had put there. There was an identification with someone because he had been raised by a Hebrew woman who happened to be his own mother. Do you think that maybe he did not know that he was... Of Hebrew lineage, yes, he did. He knew who he was. And that's important for all of us to understand and know who we are. We all know that we're growing up in this generation, in this world, and we can't change that. But we are who we are. We're in this world, but we're not of it. Understand that? You are a child of God, just like Moses. Moses was a chosen deliverer to Egypt. He didn't understand everything that was going on, but, but, you know, he understood the benefits of it. But here's the other thing that Moses faced as he was growing up. He had choices that he had to make. Now, I like what Moses chose because in Hebrews eleven twenty three to 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they knew he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict, which was to put him to death. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, get this, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches of, of uh, greater than the riches of Egypt, for he was looking forward to a reward. What are you looking forward to today? 
What are you looking forward to? Are we caught up in the temporal? Are we caught up in the things of this world? Do the things of this world get our attention? Do the things of this world draw us in? Do they suck us in? You know, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. When I was growing up, there's a river up there. Many of you may have crossed it. If you've ever gone, uh, gone west on I-40, you've probably crossed over the French Broad River. Anybody ever seen it? Well, now you can look at it. It's this beautiful river that flows down through there. When I was a kid growing up, there were all these plants and companies and uh, manufacturers that were dumping stuff into the river. So it, it had the consistency like brown shoe polish or something. It was just an ugly river. A lot of people lost their lives because people would go swimming in that river, and there were what they were called suck holes in it. It's where the water would swirl over rocks or something, and it would form kind of a, a, a vortex that would cause the water to swirl, and, it would, and people would get caught in those vortexes, and it was just like a drain plug being pulled out of a bathtub. It would just suck people down in it. Well, that's what sin does to us. It's like a vortex. If we get too close to it, if we wade out too deep into sin, it will pull you down. It will suck you under. It will destroy you. That's what Moses faced as a man of God in the house of Pharaoh. He was in the house of Pharaoh. He had no choice in the matter because he was raised up in the household. But he did have the choice as to whether he would participate and partake of the things of Pharaoh's house. He chose rather to, en to endure the afflictions of his people than to enjoy the benefits of what he had in this world. There are things in this world that are attractive to us. How much do they attract us? Do they attract us enough to make us turn our backs on the things of God, to turn away from the truth, to turn away from the things that we know are reality, the things that God is doing in our lives? That's a question that we have to ponder for ourselves. I cannot answer that question for anybody. I can only answer as Joshua did. In Joshua 24, 20, he says... You know, as for you, whatever choice you make, you decide whether you're going to choice, choose to serve the gods of Egypt or to serve the gods of our fathers. As for me and my house, we will do what? We will serve the Lord. He had to make a choice. We've all got to make that choice. Nobody can make that choice for you. When you stand before God, you're going to give an answer for one person. Yourself. Nobody else. You can't blame mama, you can't blame daddy. You can't blame grandma, grandpa, or anybody else. You can't blame the way you were raised up. You can't blame what happened to you when you were a child. You can't blame the abuse. You can't blame anything else on where you stand with God when you stand before him. Because there is a thing called the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all unrighteousness and makes us righteous in the eyes of God when we by faith accept him as our Lord and Savior and the change that he brings about in our life. If any man is in Christ, he's a new what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we make that choice and we decide to follow Jesus. It means this, that we have to turn our backs on the world. To repent is this. You know, when Jesus began his ministry, the first words that came out of his mouth when he stood up to proclaim who he was, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does the word repent mean? It does not mean to be sorry for. A lot of us are sorry for a lot of things. Sorry we got caught. Sorry we were exposed. Sorry we were embarrassed. We get sorry. But to repent means to turn and go in another direction. It means to turn your back and to have a change of mind and heart about God himself. To see who we are, to agree with Him. To confess is the word homologeo, which means to agree with. We agree with God about our sinful condition, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How about you? That's me. I have. I don't know about you. You may be perfect. I'm not. As perfect as my mama was, she had to repent. And she was about as perfect as I've ever met. But she had to repent. There's a time in her life when she had to turn away from her sin and accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And when she did, it meant that things were different in her life. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Our old way of thinking, our old way of acting, and all of these things. So this is what Moses had to face. But by faith, he made a decision that he was going to endure the afflictions of his people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The pleasures of sin are only seasonal. 
They're only for a short time. And believe me that sin is pleasurable. That's how the enemy gets us. If it wasn't pleasurable, who would want to do it? I mean, could you imagine the devil coming to you and saying, Hey, you know, hey, you want to sin? You know, it'll kill you. <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll hurt you. You want to get hurt? Come on. Come on. Let me, let me give you some pain. He doesn't do that, does he? And he comes in and like, you know, come on, baby. Let's sin a little bit, you know. It feels good. So we, you know, I mean, if, if anybody's ever done any drugs or anything else, the only reason you did it because somebody told you to make you feel good. I mean, they didn't tell you to make you act stupid. They just told you to make you feel good. You know, I've always said, I mean, if, if, if a person who's, who's an alcoholic or whatever has struggled with that kind of thing, I, I just, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but if I could have ever had someone to, to film me when I was drunk, I'd have probably never done it again because I've been totally embarrassed. When I was sober, I probably thought, God, I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I acted like that, you know, because it's totally out of character. But I'm, I'm going to move on, okay? We, we've, I've meddled enough. You know, salvation is the most valuable gift that we've ever been given. It is a gift of God's grace. But there is a price to pay for being counted as a true believer and being identified with Christ. It means that we've got to lay down our lives. We've got to lay down ourselves. You know? I mean, God gives us a gift, but in order to get the gift of God, we have to be willing to lay aside our old self. But if we hang on to ourself, what is ourself? Our own, our own self-identification, our mind, will, and emotions. We have to yield it to God. We have to yield to Him. Because the Bible says that we are, service to, we are slaves to whom we serve. If we serve sin, then we're slaves to sin. If we serve God. We're servants of His. So we have to make a decision. And, 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 and there's a call for us as believers to be faithful. Not just for a little while, but the Bible says in Matthew that he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. It's an endurance. It's, it's like a marathon. It's not like a sprint. You know, it's not like something we just, oh, I got saved last week. Hallelujah, I'm going to heaven now. You know, it's, when, I, when I first got born again, man, the reason I got born again, I'll be honest with you. I read David Wilkerson's book called The Vision, and I thought that Jesus was coming in 1977. I got saved in 1976. Hey, whatever works. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, knowledge, of the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's a good thing. I mean, I feared God. I feared going to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. I mean, anybody here want to go to hell? That's what I thought. Nobody raised their hand for that. Anybody want to go to heaven? Yeah, everybody wants to go to heaven. But the thing of it is, the thing of it is, I got saved, and I, I really believed that Jesus was coming back so soon. And, and man, I didn't want to miss him. I didn't, mean, didn't want to miss the return of the Lord. And you know what? I still don't. I still don't. And do I believe that Jesus is coming soon? I still believe Jesus is coming soon. I still believe Jesus is coming just as soon as I believed that he was coming back in 1976. When I first gave my heart to Jesus. And, and the reason I believe that Jesus is coming soon is because of what his word says. Now, now here, here's something to ponder. It, Paul told, told Timothy in, in the second letter that he had written to Timothy, which is probably Paul's last letter that, that he wrote to anybody. You know, he wrote, he wrote 28 books of the Bible. Or not 28, but uh, 13 books of, of the 28 uh, books in, in the New Testament. He wrote 13 epistles. And... Uh, his last epistle was written to Timothy, who he considered to be a son in the Lord. And, 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 and he tells Timothy, you know, he, he knows his time is, is getting up. He knows it's, it's soon to come to an end. But he tells him in chapter 3, in verses 1 through 6, he, should, he says to Timothy, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, everybody say the last days. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. How many believe we're living in very difficult times? Well, I like what the King James Bible says about that because it says, In the last days perilous times shall come. The word perilous means dangerous, extremely dangerous times. I don't know about y'all, but I kind of look around, I see things being dangerous. 
It's not safe to go out at night anymore. When I was a kid, my mom used to just lock us out till way past dark. <laughs> you know, I mean, we'd probably kill each other inside, so it was safer for all of us to be outside. <laughs> Eleven kids. Ugh. So, you know, we... we the only time the doors were locked is when Mama wanted to keep us out of the house so she could clean things up. Eleven kids, you can't keep things clean. You can't keep things clean with two kids, let alone eleven. And so Mama would say, y'all go outside and play. Go somewhere, do something. You know, go practice doing your hang nooses or something, you know, whatever. So we'd go play and play around the barn and all this kind of stuff and dig caves. We just had a great time growing up. My childhood was exciting. You know, we did things that even the pilgrims didn't do. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're out there playing and all this stuff. But it was safe. About the worst thing we had to worry about was things like copperheads and stuff like that, you know, cave-ins and stuff. But other than that, it was pretty relatively safe. But things are different now. I mean, we used to go to town. Daddy never locked the car. You go to town now and don't lock your car. You come back, you'll be walking. <laughs> Calling your insurance company. Hey, I parked my car here and it's gone. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the day we live in. And, and people kill each other for no reason. Just don't like the way you look and you're gone. It's just, we're living in dangerous times. And, and not only that, but the world stage nationally. As Jesus said in the, in the last days, you know, he said before he comes back, he says there would be wars and rumors of war. What do you hear all the time? Wars and rumors of war. I mean, the, the sabers are always rattling. Nation rising against nation. Kingdom rising against kingdom. We see all of these things and we know Jesus said these would be the signs of the beginning of the end of time. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the Bible tells us that Moses was a man who preached for 120 years as he prepared the ark for the salvation of anyone who would believe and get on board the ark. Yes, it was 120 years, Becky. My wife said no. Noah, I said, who? <laughs> Moses, yeah. I, was, I asked that question too many times. How many animals, different types of animals did Moses take on the ark? It got me. Noah prepared. He was a man of righteousness. He prepared the ark for 120 years. And it says in Genesis that the days of a man shall be 120 years. And it was speaking specifically about uh, Noah preparing the ark. And so he preached it, that it was going to rain. Nobody believed him. Why? Because it never rained. It had never rained. I mean, you go tell a bunch of people, it's going to rain, and it's never rained. They don't know what you're talking about. They look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. What's that? You know? The flood's coming. Get ready. And he preached this for 120 years. Nobody believed him. Only his family, only his family entered into the ark and was saved because of the message he had. Not many people are going to believe because today the world looks at it being as a myth because of one thing. I, I want to keep on reading here. It says, in the last days, there will be difficult times for people who love only themselves and their money. I mean, what's the number one thing that politicians get elected for? The economy, stupid. They will be very boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Does that sound familiar? They will be unloving and unforgiving. Yeah. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. It's interesting that today they're calling what is evil good and what is good evil. Yeah. And they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Does that sound about right? 
they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. And Paul goes on to tell Timothy, stay away from people like that. Watch the company you keep. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. So be careful. You know, in the early 90s, there was a survey that was taken, and only 69% of Americans professed to be Christian. At that time, they thought that was horrible, that only 69%, less than 30% of Americans, or only, uh, you know, over 30% of Americans didn't believe in God, that they were atheists or or at least agnostics, you know, that they didn't believe in God. And, and people thought that was just crazy. And that was in the early 90s. The most recent survey says that only about 25%, or 28% of, of Americans profess Christianity. And only about 10%, 10, 12% of those claim to be born-again Christians. Wow. I was watching television. I was watching one of the presidential addresses. It wasn't one of the most recent ones. This has probably been a little over a year, year and a half, two years ago. And President Barack Obama had this to say. He said that America has become a post-Christian nation. This is out of the mouth of the president of the United States. America has become a post-Christian nation. And what he was saying was that not that it's horrible that America has become a post-Christian nation. What he was saying was that we are a melting pot of religions and we are no longer referred to as a Christian nation. So we should no longer refer to America as a Christian nation, but we should accept all religions. This is what he was saying. And this is where we are. That's why there's so many things happening in the, in, in, in the social realm in our country that once would have been taboo, but now is totally acceptable. And if you don't accept it, you're unacceptable. Yeah. You're called a hater. You're called a lot of other things that I can't even say. But, you know, and it startled me when I heard the president say that. But that's. What's happening? It's becoming more and more true every day. The world as a whole is becoming more and more as Paul described it to Timothy. So what is our response to all this to be? Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4, or actually in in verse 14, all the way to chapter 4, verse 5. He says, but you, but you, everybody say, but you. That would be you and me. Must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive salvation that becomes from trusting in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, he said this, All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, scripture. is inspired by God. Now, most theologians today, a lot of pastors will stand in their pulpit and say, make this statement that, the Bible is full of error, that it was written by men, and so therefore is unreliable. So we have to look at it uh, subjectively, and we have, to, we have to kind of take out what's good and, 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 and apply it to our lives and, and be good socially and, and, and help people and all these kind of things, but all of these other things, morality cannot be Uh, uh, governed and these kind of things because it's all in the hearts of people and this is true to an extent but God is still God his word is still true we can't pick and choose out of scripture what we want to be applicable to our lives we have to apply our lives to the scripture of God and the truth of God's word and measure ourselves according to it if we're going to be right with him Wow. But this is where we are. He says, you must remain faithful to the things you've taught. Because all Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. You ever wonder what's wrong? Just take a look. look in, get into the Word. It'll show you. The light of God will, will reveal it to you. So then he tells, tells uh, Timothy, he says, It corrects us when we're wrong. God uses it, the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
And so in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom, number 2, verse 2, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For the time is coming, and now is, I believe, when people will no longer listen to sound, wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. I couldn't help myself. I had to look up that word myths in the Greek. It is the word muthos. It means mysticism, fables, untruths. Things made up in the mind. And a lot of religion today has that kind of flavor to it. We, we will take it and we will, we, will, we will devise our own religion in order to suit ourselves. And we'll take a little bit from this one and a little bit from that. You know what I like about this religion, what I like about this religion. We'll put it in a little melting pot. We'll stir it up and see what comes out. So that way I can be a Baptist Pentecostal methodologist, blah, 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 blah. I can be a Musa, a Musa, whatever, uh, Hindu. I can be an is, is Islamic Buddhist, whatever I want to be, Christian, and just mix it all up. And that's what I am. And I, that's crazy. This is where we are. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully, out, fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. The point of my message today is it's time for us to stand up and be counted. Okay? We live in a world that's falling apart. I mean, it's going to hell in a handbasket, believe me. And it's time for us as believers to stand up and be counted in this world that we're living in. We can no longer just, just hide out in the shadows. We can no longer just allow the world to be the world and let's do what we want to do and let them do what they want to do. It's time for us as the people of God to stand up and be counted and begin to be a voice for the kingdom of kings, for the king of kings and the Lord of lords to speak the word of God, to speak it with truth, to speak it with relevance and to live the lives that God has called us to live in this ungodly world and know that the people of God that, that, that love God and live righteously in this world, Paul told Timothy, shall suffer persecution. The godly shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. Is that a bad thing? Hey, I consider it a badge of honor because at least people recognize that you are of God. They know you belong to Jesus. And I've had people to come up to me and ask me leading questions before and try to trip me up and, 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 and you know, try to, try to make me doubt God. But because the Word of God is the Word of God, and if you use the Word of God, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You can use your own minds, you can use your own words, and you will just always mess up and trip over them, and somebody trip you up with your own words. But if you just use the Word of God and let the Word of God speak for itself, it will do, and it will accomplish that that God sends it forth to do, as He's promised. So understand this. In the last days, these perilous days we're living in, the recurring regularity of events in our days have caused even a lot of Christians to become desensitized. Jesus said it like this. He says, in, the, in those days, before the coming of the Lord, he says, in those days, the love of most will wax cold. Again, I like to look up words and look up their meanings in the Greek and the Hebrew and this kind of thing. And I looked up that word wax one day. And it was in reference to, anybody ever, ever heard of a, a waxing moon? You know what it means, don't you? It, it's kind of like there's a, 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 a wax cover, a layer put over the moon so that you can, you know, it's faint in its appearance. Waxing. A waxing moon or... The love of most will wax cold. It becomes almost non-existent. And we live in a world like that today when men are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God and they have lost the love for one another and their fellow man. You will find a lot of self-help seminars. 
You'll find a lot of, of people that are wanting someone to help me with my own self-identity. You know, I, I have a low self-esteem. I need my esteem built up. You know, I don't need my esteem built up. I need to esteem others higher than myself. That's what I need. I need to get out of my own skin and, and allow God to put his spirit in me so that I can live to minister to other people and be concerned about them rather than me. If I will lose my life for his sake, I'll gain it. But if I hang on to my life and all I'm concerned, concerned about is my own self-esteem and being good and being, you know, the only thing that makes me good is Jesus in me. I gave up on that a long time ago. I realized that I'm unrighteous, that there's none doeth good, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And once you get a hold of that, hey, it, it, it's, it's freeing to understand, man, I'm incapable of, of being perfect. You know, I can't do it. So I gave up the struggle a long time ago. Thank God. But Jesus in me is perfect. Jesus in me. And Jesus in me gives me the ability to minister to other people and love them when I could not. When I struggle with loving people, Jesus in me loves them anyway. You know? And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that a lot. Some people are a lot more lovable than others. But I like what Jesus said. All things are possible with God. But the recurring regularity of the events that are, that are going on around us have desensitized us to the points that, that we just don't notice them like we once did. But as, as Christians who have access to the Word of God, we should take notice of them and be prepared for what's ahead. Paul, told, uh, Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians, he says, he says, we are not of the night that we should be caught flat-footed or unaware because Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. That shouldn't surprise us. We should be ready for it. Hey, man, if somebody told me a thief is coming to your house tonight to steal your stuff, I'm not going to go on vacation. I'm going to be waiting on them. I'm going to have my friends with me, Mr. Smith and Wesson. Brother Glock, we're going to be waiting up. You come on, try to steal my stuff. Well, I'm not going to be caught red-handed when Jesus comes either. I'm going to be expecting any moment he could come. I'm going to be ready. And it's time to stand up and be counted and understand that, that time is short, that our time to work, our window of opportunity is quickly closing. We can't just sit back and hope that someday, somewhere, somehow, God's going to use us. Understand, God wants to use you right now where you are. Yes. Yes. Despise not small beginnings. What can I do? I can't preach or sing or do any of those things. We're not asking you to. But you can do something. You can do something. I tell people all the time, I learned to pray in church as a little boy. We would have sangings. And we'd have singings, and people would come to sing. And they'd get up front, and they'd get an old guitar that was all out of tune and everything else. And they didn't know how to tune it. They'd just act like they was tuning it, ding, ding, ding. It'd be worse than when they started. <laughs> Inevitably, one of them, make it as, they'd make a statement. And I don't know if it was just something people said to be polite or what, but I took it to heart. They saw it say, we don't claim to be no singers, but y'all pray for us real hard while we try to sing. And so I'd start praying. That's where I learned to pray. Because believe me, they needed some prayer. And they were being honest. They didn't know how to sing. They weren't no singers. But they tried. Bless their heart. You know, in the South, you say, bless your heart. That just means that, you know, I can say what I want. But as long as I say, bless their heart, I'm okay. So that's where I learned to pray. Pray for those folks. Jesus, help them. Help me. Somebody's got to have some relief, Lord. Come quickly. <laughs> Peter, who was a contemporary of Paul, writes in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. 
And he said, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. Anybody heard any scoffers lately? Every day. The other day I was at the gym and I was, happened to look up on the screen and there was this program called The Distorted View. They don't say distorted, but that's what it is. <laughs> Some of the stuff they were saying was so asinine and so out of line. It was just wacky. Kind of reminded of the witches of Endor or something. I don't know. It was just... Crazy, crazy stuff they were saying. And they were demeaning Christians, people of faith. And the stand that certain Christians were taking against ungodliness, especially when it relates to them. And so they were making fun of and, and scoffing at these people. And, and, and this, is, this goes right along with, with what Peter was saying, that in the last days, scoffers will come. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Anybody heard that lately? And then they'll say this. From the beginning of the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. It's only a myth, they will say. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out of water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesied to a nation that was numb and dull of hearing and stiff-necked against the things of God. They had been totally desensitized because of their sinfulness. And because of their covetousness and setting other gods up and, and refusing to hear the Lord God of Israel. And this is what Ezekiel said to them. He says, God says to Ezekiel, he says in, in, in chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, he says, Son of man, you've heard that proverb they quote in Israel. Time passes and prophecy comes to nothing. Tell the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will put an end to this proverb, and you will soon stop quoting it. Now give them this new proverb to replace the old one. The time has come for every prophecy to be fulfilled. Think about it. The time has come for every prophecy to be fulfilled. Folks, I encourage you, listen to the prophets of God. There's a lot of stuff on TV that I don't like. A lot of TV preachers that I wouldn't give you two cents for. But there's some that are preaching the truth, and we need to hear them. I was listening to one last night. Perry Stone was talking about prophecy. Man, this guy studies prophecy like crazy. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that blessed is the one who hears the words of, the pro of this prophecy and does them. When we hear the words of prophecy, we need to hear the prophets are given for a reason. They're to tell us of what is coming. And the prophets are all in line with this one thing. Jesus is coming soon. The prophets of God are all saying the same thing, that we are in the closing pages of time as we know it. The day of judgment is coming quickly. These things that Jesus said, that the prophets have said, that Daniel has said, that Ezekiel has said, that Paul has said, that Peter has said, that Jude has said, that all of these prophets of God have spoken are, are falling into place rapidly, quickly. It's just like the culmination of all these things. And we talk about a vortex. It's like a vortex. It's just all these prophecies are coming together. Just time as we know it is quickly coming to an end. The day of judgment is approaching so quickly. And even the church, 
even the church. We don't talk about it much anymore. We would rather talk about how I can be a better person or how I can be more profitable and prosperous or how I can do this or how I can do that. And we have gotten the focus off of what God has called us to do and we've gotten the focus on what? I. Ay, 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 ay. So this is where we are. Peter goes on, and he says in verse 8, chapter 3, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. To someone who is eternal and timeless, time means nothing. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. If God's timetable is one day is a thousand years and Jesus has been gone for two, two years, he's actually been, or two thousand years, he's only been gone for a couple of days. So his return is quicker than we think. I mean, if you put it in perspective, he's not really slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. Why? Because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And people say, if God is so merciful, if God is so loving, why would he ever do this to anyone? God's not doing it to anyone. We make the choice. we chosen. We choose whether it's going to happen to us or not. But the day of judgment is not being reserved for the child of God. It's being reserved for the ungodly, those who have rejected God, who have spurned his word, who have doubted him and been faithless and unbelieving. Day of Lord, he's saying, is coming as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in a fire, and the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Peter goes on with a word of instruction as to how we are be to, to be prepared for what is coming, and almost finished. And he says in verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what does it say? What holy and godly lives should you live looking forward to the day of the Lord and hurrying it along? <laughs> I don't want God to just keep hanging this out here. I, I'm, I'm eager for the coming of the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm not a citizen here. I don't belong here. I belong in heaven. My citizenship's there. I want to go see what I got there. But I know that God has a work for me to do while I'm here, so therefore I want to do what God's called me to do. And when the time comes... He can take me home whenever he's ready. Then in verse 14, he says, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is Bible code for stand up and make your life count for Jesus. Get busy living for him evangelize and tell everyone you know that Jesus loves them and he wants to save them. Warn them of the coming judgment. Tell them to get ready that Jesus is coming back. It's not the time for us to get slack and lethargic. It's time for us to stand up and to be counted. Peter gives one final word of encouragement in the closing words of uh, verses of this epistle. He says, if you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of God? Are you being lethargic? Are you being numb to the things around you? It's time to waken up. It's time for you to, 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 to stand up and be counted for what God has called us to do. I, I close with the following simple words of encouragement that are absolutely essential for every believer. I want you to get this. Get it. Write it down. It's very simple. Stay prayed up. Pray always. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, chapter, uh, six verse 18 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for believers everywhere. Pray. Pray for the saints. Pray for one another. Pray for yourself. Number two, stay connected to the body of Christ. So important. Because as a body of believers, you and I are, 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 are fitly joined together. We're connected. We can't lose that connection. 
We lose the lifeblood if we do, if we, if we get out of fellowship with one another. We were talking about that in the, in the Purple Book study this morning. I want you to understand something, folks. How many have ever heard of the Lone Ranger? Anybody ever heard of the Lone Ranger? Do you know he wasn't a Lone Ranger? Tonto was always there. He was never alone. If he had been, he'd been the Dead Ranger. But he always had somebody covering his back, somebody always making up, his, making up for his, his failures, helping him. And we need one another. We need to support one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. And the Bible tells us clearly in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, to forsake not the assembling together of yourselves as the manner of some is, and so much the more, everybody say so much the more, as you see that day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of the coming of the Lord. It's not time for us to get slack. We ought to be having church 14 times a day. Amen. We ought to be living in church. You ready for the coming of the Lord? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we backed off a lot, you know. I remember when I was a kid, we went to church 10 times a week. If the pastor was painting the church, we went and watched him. <laughs> we were there. We didn't miss it. We're not that way anymore. You know, we have too much church. We've got too much religion. We can have too much religion, but you can't have too much connection. The believers in the book of Acts, they got together every day. They went about it every day. They would be at somebody's house breaking bread together, talking about the apostles' doctrines and creeds and, and, and talking about Jesus and, you know, having fellowship with one another, having communion. So stay connected. All of you are a part of Christ's body, and each of you has a part in it. And number three, this is, this is paramount to everything else. Stay in the Word. Yes, Stay in the Word of God. Get in the Word. If you don't have a consistent Bible study, I, I, I question whether you're a true believer or not. If you don't have a hunger for the Word of God, something is wrong. If you're not desiring the sincere milk of the Word of God, then something is wrong with your life. You need to have a checkup. You need to go to God and say, I'm here for a spiritual checkup. I feel anemic. Something's wrong. If you're not in the Word of God, that's what's wrong because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It builds us up. It encourages us. It strengthens us. It helps us to, to determine that which is spirit and that which is flesh. Is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. It, it reveals things to us. It's the light of God's God in, in our lives, and it shows us what is truth and what is fiction. It helps us to keep from going into error. If you don't have the Word of God, you will ultimately end up in error. Why do you think so many people died in Guyana back in the 70s with Jim Jones? They believe what that man said. They didn't check the word of God out for themselves. They believe what one man said and they drank the Kool-Aid. And they all died, over 900 people. A mass suicide of people who followed this man but they didn't check the word of God out for themselves. I told you last week, folks, if, if, if what I'm saying doesn't line up with the word of God, you come and challenge me on it. Let me know because I want to be right. And if it's not right, if it's not right, we'll correct it. We'll make it right. But if I begin to teach you error, if I begin to teach you things that are not in this Bible, you go somewhere else. I encourage you. I, I bless you to go because I don't want to teach you error. I don't want to stand before God and be responsible for that. It's too, too much responsibility because I, as your shepherd, will give an account for you. And your welfare. I'm serious about that. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Stay in the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That word rightly divided is, is, is a word which is, is used as a carpenter's term. It means to cut in a straight line. You know, rightly divide. Straight down the middle. The word of God will help you to do that. Keep you going in the right direction and help you to be what God has called you to be. And last, last but not least, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us really realize what's wrong with our lives. And, and it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us and to equip us as his people to do every good work. Now, with that thought in mind, 
We have opportunities in so many different directions for you to get into the Word of God, to help train you, to equip you. We have, we have the Purple Book study on Sunday morning, which is open for everybody. We'll even give you a book if you don't have one, if you can't afford one. We'll make sure you got one. If you don't have a Bible, if you can't afford a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. We'll make sure you got one. We have life groups that meet. We have at least three of them. One of them is taking some time off, but we'll be convening again in in, uh, August. So we have opportunities for you to come and to get into the Word of God, to bounce the things around in the Word of God, to discuss them and encourage and strengthen one another. That's what it's all about. But most important for us is to believe the Word of God and stand up and be counted. If you're not involved in some type of ministry, then, then you're not effectively doing what God has called you to do. Each one of us, each member in the body of Christ, you know, people will ask us sometimes, who's your minister? You should say, well, I am, but my pastor is Don Vess because I'm a minister. Every member is a minister. You should be ministering to one another. So what is a minister? Well, the, word, the minister is the word diakonos, which is the same word as deacon. How many deacons you got in church? I say all of them. Well, the word deacon is the word diakonos, which is simply a servant. We're all called to serve. There are deacons that have certain functions in the body of Christ, and there are qualifications for that. But essentially, in reality, every one of us are called to minister in the body of Christ. Every one of us. We are called to minister. To minister to one another. Because that's what the body is. We are all fitly joined together. Each joint supplying the need of the other. I need you, and guess what? You need me. We're stuck together. What do you think about that? You can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. And I like it. I love my family. I love the family of God. And it's time for us, folks, to stand up and realize who we are. You don't have to be a doormat for the devil or for the world or for anybody else. When someone is telling you a, a lie, don't you just stand there and take it. Challenge them with the Word of God. And they will say, I don't believe that. Well, then you believe what you want to believe, but the Word of God is true. It doesn't change what the Bible says. It doesn't change the Word of God. If the Bible were not the authoritative Word of God, then why do we believe it? Why even bother might as well just get a dictionary and bring it in and preach out of it, you know. But the Word of God is true. It is inspired of God. It is profitable. So let it bring the profit that God wants it to bring into your life. And understand, we're living in the last days. I don't know how much more time we got left. No man knows. Jesus didn't even know. He said, no man knows but the Father. But know this, he said, these will be the signs of the coming when I'm coming back again. And we see these things lining up just as he said they would be. They're lining up, they're lining up quickly. And he said, they're just like birth pangs, Paul said in, in, in Second Thessalonians. He said, like birth pangs. He said, when men will say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like a woman that is with child with birth pains. And these birth pains are happening. What happens when you have birth pains? My wife can tell you. I could let her finish up. She could tell you what it was like to have birth pains. They start out kind of slow, but then they, they gain intensity just before the child is delivered. Am I right? Yeah. I know that because she, she, she was threatening me. <laughs> she was telling me the night before how much she loved me. The next day she was telling me she hated me. No, she didn't. <laughs> Why'd you do this to me? <laughs> Until the babies were born. Then everything was all right. But that's the way it is. And the culmination of the events that are taking place. Up until the day of the coming of the Lord. When the Lord himself returns. But it's like he said it would be. When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so shall we all forever be with him. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that, man. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that. And the day is soon coming when we're going to hear the trumpet sound. And only those who are listening for it and waiting for it are going to hear it. Everybody else say, what was that noise? But by the time they do, it will be too late. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're out of here. You don't have time to do anything different then. You do now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to make that decision, to make that choice, to stand up and be counted for God. Every head bowed, nobody looking around. This morning, this message is, is so crucial, so critical. We're living in a time when, when, when people have been lulled asleep with a false sense of security. That all we have to do is just believe in the grace of God. Well, I'll tell you what the grace of God is. The grace of God is that Jesus, God's Son, came and died on a cross in your place. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is that you get to accept him as your Lord and Savior and have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the grace of God. The grace of God teaches, teaches us this, that denying ungodliness, denying ungodliness, and living a godly life in this present world, that's what grace teaches us. And looking for the blessed hope, the soon appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's what grace is all about. It's not about being goofy and, and thinking that, that we can do anything we want, live any way we want to, and when Jesus comes, that God's going to accept us because we have mouthed some words and said, I believe in Jesus. It's not what it means at all. What it means is that I trust Him and I agree with Him and I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I have a need for God. I have a need for Him. And I thank God that Jesus, his son, came and died in my place that he loved me so much that even while I'm still a sinner, Jesus died for me. That's grace. And that's mercy. And it's not by works of righteousness that we have done that we're saved, but it's by his mercy alone that he has saved us. And God extends his mercy to us, and he gives us opportunity after opportunity. But there's a time in our lives when God says your time is up. The Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. So how are we going to be judged? For the saint of God, the child of God, we will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will receive rewards for the things that we have done that benefited the kingdom of God. Things that brought honor to him. And some of the works that we have done, thinking those works of righteousness that we thought were meritorious before God are going to be burned up because they had no merit. All of our self-righteousnesses and all of those things are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. But I'm telling you that Jesus loves you right where you're at. He wants to save you, but he wants to change you. He wants to give you a brand new start. Take that old life of yours that is full of pain and scars and hurt, failure, and all of those things, and bury them in his sea of forgetfulness to be remembered against you no more. And to say to you, child, today you've been born again. My spirit has come into your life and touched you. I've breathed new life into you receive it and allow my spirit to change you to help you to become more like your master and your savior Jesus that's what God wants to do if there's anyone who would hear today would say pastor I know in my heart that I'm not right with God, but I want to be today before I leave this place because I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I don't want to, to be overtaken like a thief in the night and, and miss out on what God has provided for me. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I, I, I want to be ready. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand up? 
Just hold it up high before the Lord because he sees it. Nobody else is looking around. It's between you and God. Just hold your hand up for just a moment because I want to pray for you. This is important. Don't miss this opportunity. You may not have another one. This might be it. Maybe the last opportunity you get because no man has promised another tomorrow. The Bible says, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. It's no more. That's what your life is like. Right now, God is calling to you. He's, he, he's reaching out to you, and he's saying, will you respond? Will you give me your life, and I'll give you life. I'll give you more than you could ever imagine. You see, the thief doesn't come to do one thing, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life, the God kind of life, the Zoe life, the, God, the life that God intended you to have, and have that more abundantly. And I found this to be true. Does anybody would say, Pastor, that's me. I, I, I want that life. I want what God has for me. And you may be here this morning and you may have thought that I'm right with God. But the Holy Spirit is telling you that you have not been walking righteously before God. And God wants to change your course. He wants to point you in the new direction. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Is anyone else? I want to go in the direction God wants me to go. I don't want to be self-deceiving anymore. It's time for me to stand up and be counted, and I want to be counted with the righteous. Anyone would say, Pastor, that's me. Anyone else? Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is so important. You know, this is real life. This is not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. This is reality. For those of you who raised your hand this morning, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to take a step of faith. And I want you to step out from where you are, and I want you to come because God wants to do a work in your heart this morning, and He wants you by faith to take that step. If you'll take a step toward you, He's already on His way toward you. If you'll take a step toward Him, He's already coming toward you. Come on. Come on, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Come on. Come on. Come on. Is there anyone else? Don't be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is reality. This is what God is doing right now. God is doing something right now. Come on. Don't you be ashamed of Him. I'd like for some of our altar workers, some of our elders, and all to come down and and help us this morning. Some of our prayer warriors to come and pray with these folks at the altar this morning. Would you come? Thank you, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father, for opportunities. God, to get it right. We thank you, Lord. And I just pray, Father, for my Brothers and sisters that are here this morning, Lord God, that you would just touch them, Father. Would you just say this with me? God, I'm tired of playing games. I want it to be real. I'm declaring to you this morning that I'm standing up for you. Lord, I I refuse to go on the way that I've been going. I denounce my past life. Today, everything is new. With your help, with your grace, I'm going forward. A new day, a new attitude, a new direction. And Father, I thank you that there's no challenge that is before me that I cannot overcome by your grace and by the power of your word I commit to you Lord that I will be a disciple a learner of you in Jesus name thank you Lord that you're a God of many opportunities 
and that you, Father, have given me this opportunity today to make a change in my life. I declare that you are Lord, that you're my ruler, my king, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God did something amazing here today. And maybe you didn't come down here, but maybe you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer right where you are. I pray that God will give you the grace to move forward in the new commitment that you've made with Him. And I encourage you, get into the Word of God. Get into the Word. I encourage you to get into the purple book. Get in the purple book. If you're not in it, get in that class. It'll help you grow. It'll build a foundation under you. That's what you need. Without a foundation, we can't stand. Encourage you to do that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you this morning for your goodness and for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can be counted among the righteous, Father, that when we stand before you, Lord, each one of us want to hear those, those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to hear you say it, Lord, and we realize it's time for us to stand up and be counted. Lord, I pray for every believer in here this morning, Father, that today, Lord, as we leave this place, that we would go with a new sense of urgency of the times, Lord, and understand that we're living in those days that you spoke about, that the apostles spoke of, that the prophets have spoken out, and that the coming of the Lord is near, and we don't have much time to tell others that Jesus is coming, to prepare them, Lord, and help us, Father, to be ready always to give an answer to the hope that lies within us, we pray. In Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer with me this morning, would you say amen? Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Would you stand? You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.